0: So friends, today we are continuing in our series through the book of Proverbs. We started in chapter one a few weeks ago. We're currently in chapter four. And what we see Solomon do here today in chapter four is he's no longer just talking about wisdom like he has been in the past few chapters. What we see Solomon do here is he's focusing more on the transmission of wisdom, the passing down of wisdom from one generation to another and I promise you, I didn't plan it this way, okay? It just so happens that this passage fell on a week uh, where a lot of babies got baptized. Um, you know, and our church is growing. We're having a lot more children uh, in our children's ministry. A lot of us are trying to become parents. So this is a relevant passage for, for many of us here. But let me just say this. Even if, if you are here today and you don't have kids, okay, this passage is relevant for you as well because although biological children is kind of what mainly Solomon had in mind in this passage when he speaks about it, it's not strictly what he had in mind, okay? To be someone's son in the ancient Near East culture wasn't just purely about biology. It was about submission. So a son could even be officially disowned if they were disobedient. I'm not saying you should do that. I'm just saying the idea of sonship back then wasn't just biology, it was obedience, it was submission. So this passage is really for anyone, not just parents, who care for the next generation enough to want to help them grow in wisdom and have better lives. Okay. However, we will stick with Solomon's intimate familial household dynamic language throughout the sermon. Why? Because that's the relational dynamic that Solomon chooses to use here in this passage in order to teach us about how the passing down of wisdom works, all right? And this is, this is a really important passage. I don't think it's hyperbole to say that the quality of life for the next generation, the quality of life for your children, for your descendants, is highly dependent upon whether or not we listen and get what Solomon's trying to tell us today. Okay? So let's get into it. This is God's Word, taken from Proverbs chapter 4, verse 1-9. to this is the word of God. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Thus says the Lord. Three things I want to point out from our passage today. First, an inheritance of wisdom will crown your child with life and honor, but only if they love and cherish her. Okay? An inheritance of wisdom will crown your child with life and honor, but only if they love and cherish her. Start the first point. An inheritance of wisdom. So if you take a look at the first three verses in our passage today, you can immediately see there that there is an intergenerational theme that's present in the passage, okay? Take a look at it again closely. You'll see at least three generations in the first three verses. The first two generations is found in verse one. Take a look at it. There's Solomon the author who said, "'Hear, O sons, a father's instruction.'" Okay, so there's the father figure here, Solomon himself, and then there are his sons, right? Two generations. But then, if you go to verse three, you see Solomon there referring to his own father as well. Take a look at verse three. Solomon says, when I was a son with my father. You see that? So there's Solomon's father, let's call him the grandfather. There's Solomon himself, let's call him the father, And then there are the sons, right? Okay, three generations, immediately in the get-go. So this passage is all about generational inheritance. And here's the big question it's asking. What do you think is the most important thing that you can pass down to your children? That's, That's the main question of this passage. What is it you think is the most important thing that you can pass down to your children? Is it money? Is it land? Is it houses? Is it jewelry? Is it cars? Is it your Apple shares? What is it you think is most important to pass down to your kids? And God here tells us, as important as those things we just mentioned may be, not most important. The one thing God tells his people in this passage to make sure they pass down to the later generations is what? Look at verse seven. It's wisdom. Pass down wisdom. Okay. But what does that mean? Like wisdom about what? Wisdom about their career? Wisdom about uh, love and marriage? Wisdom about parenting? Wisdom about... Money, friendship, wisdom about what? Well, it's wisdom about God's will for all of those things. What does God want your child to do with their career, with their marriage, with their money, with their possessions? That's the wisdom that you must pass down to the later generation because if you trace back the origin of wisdom all the way to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. You remember that? A long time ago we talked about this. Wisdom doesn't begin with what the father thinks or what the grandfather thinks or what the great-great-great-great-grandfather thinks. They're not the origin of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom starts where, Proverbs says? The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, that's what we must pass down to the later generations. How do I fear the Lord? How can your child fear the Lord with their career? How do I fear the Lord with the way I date? How do I fear the Lord with the way I treat my spouse, with the way I use my money, with the way I endure difficult friendships? If you explain to your child how to fear the Lord in all aspects of their life, then Solomon's saying here that you would have given them the best inheritance that any parent could ever give. Okay, now the question is, how do you do that? How can you instruct your child or the next generation, whoever that may be for you, in the ways of the Lord. Well, in this passage, there's many ways, but I'm just going to stick with what we see in the passage, okay? In this passage, we see at least two ways hinted. First one is formality, and the second one is intimacy. That's how he passed down wisdom, formality and intimacy, okay? First, formality. What is that? What do I mean? Where do I see that in the passage? Look at verse 4. Formality. When Solomon there said, he taught me like his father taught him, right? That that phrase he taught me is the verb or the action word or in Indonesian kata kerja. Okay, it's the verb of the noun kata benda Torah. It's the verb of the noun Torah, Torah, which in Hebrew means a formal lesson. Solomon here is saying that his father Torahed him. Okay, what does that mean? That means there would be Formal moments where his father would sit him down and teach him the Bible, the Word of God. It's almost like there was actual formal repetitive sessions where the son is ready to submit and learn, and the father is ready to assert authority and teach the Bible, God's Word. And before you go, I thought Tez had kids. <laughs> I thought he knew how hard and impossible that would be. Okay. I'm not saying that you have to rent an actual classroom, you know, and give your child a systematic theological exam, okay? And I don't think that's what Solomon's father did here either. Because if you look at verse 3, these lessons started, Solomon says, while Solomon's body was still tender. Remember reading that? It was still tender. What does that mean? That means Solomon was still really, really, really young. And most commentaries presumed it's around three years old. So Solomon's dad here probably didn't start with systematic theological exams either. He probably started with singing the Bible to him, with reading the Bible to him, with praying the Bible with him, with opening up the Jesus Storybook Bible with him. Not that that existed back then, but you get the point. It's possible. It's doable. Parents, if if you, if we want to, transmit biblical wisdom to our children first of all verse 4 says don't be too apologetic don't be too worried don't be too scared about being an authority bible teacher figure to them it's okay authority is okay in fact it's necessary because parents what what you say and teach and do to your kids matter a lot it matters much more than what other people say teach and do which leads us to the second way of how wisdom is transmitted, not just formality, but intimacy. Parents, there are just some things in life that we cannot outsource. There are some things in life we can't outsource. Look, for those of us here who send our kids to Christian schools, does that help teach them the Bible? Of course it does. A lot of our kids are currently in the Sunday school classes. Does that help teach in the Bible? Of course it does. But you've got to realize, parents, there are certain corners of your child's heart that their teachers at day school and their teachers at Sunday school can't reach. Look at how intimate verse 3 is. Look at it again. Solomon there said, when I was a son, when I was a son with my father, not when I was a child with my father. Son, it's as if from the very beginning of his life, Solomon didn't know how to identify himself apart from his father, he was a son. Fathers, do you realize in their adolescence, your kids have no category of who they are apart from you. (laughs) They have no idea what that is. And, And they may not admit this all the time, but you're their world. You are their whole world. And Solomon mentions mom too. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother. Solomon also realized that mom loved him so much. When she looked at him, it was as if the rest of the world faded away into the background. I was the only one in in, in her sight. There's identification with dad. There's intimacy with mom. This matters, Solomon's saying here, but why? Why does it matter? If the goal is to help get God's word into your child's head, why can't it be just a formal, you know, classroom kind of setting? Well, because the goal isn't to get God's word into your child's head. Look at verse 4 again. What's the goal? Let your what hold fast to my words? Let your heart hold fast to my words, Solomon says, not your head. The goal isn't to get God's word just to your kid's head. The goal is to get God's word to your kid's heart or to whoever it is you're teaching. Now, now what does that mean? What is, what is your child's heart? Well, it's not just their emotions. It's not just their cognition. It's not just their volition, their action, their work. The heart in the Bible is the control room behind all of those things. It's their preferences. It's their predisposition. You know um, how when you get to know a friend close enough, okay, and you kind of are able to talk with them and ask questions like, hey, why do you do that, you know? Or, hey, uh, why do you like this? Or why do you feel that way? Or why did you react that way? You know those kinds of friends? Most of the time, what's their answer? They say this, right? Well, I don't know. I guess it's because that's how I was raised, I guess that's what my parents taught me. I guess that's what my family's used to doing. I guess that's how I saw my parents react. Our childhood experiences have tons of power over us, and you know this even now as adults. Why? Because like it or not, the home is the quickest route to the heart. There are corners of your child's heart that no one else can touch but you. Parents, Solomon's saying here, utilize both formality and intimacy. Some of us are too allergic to formality. We're too scared. We're too allergic to the idea of authority. Don't be. Authority is good. Good authority is good. But also, if formal authority is all you know, if that's all you do, if that's the only weapon in your tool belt then you'll never be able to get the Bible down to your kid's heart, okay? So there should also be intimacy. When you talk to them, when you respond to their mistakes, when you endure their immaturities, when you celebrate their victories, will your child experience the word of God you just got done teaching them, embodied in the way that you speak and live? Formality, intimacy, okay? And and before I move on, This applies to non-parents too, by the way. God's word will be transferred most effectively to the next generation, whoever it is you're teaching, when you're able to somehow utilize both formality and intimacy without sacrificing one or the other. Takes skill, takes art, takes experience, but you gotta learn how to do that. Do that well. Do that well, our passage says. And the prize you'll get, parents, teachers, leaders, is priceless which leads us to our second point. An inheritance of wisdom will crown your child, will crown the next generation with life and honor. What does that mean? Well, before I I carry on, can I take a second uh, to be honest? And if I were to ask most kids here today to be really honest, okay, okay, And if I were to ask you, what inheritance do they actually hope for or expect the most from their parents? What would it be? You'd have to answer. Parents, if I ask you to be completely honest, what inheritance have you actually been spending most of your time collecting for your kids? What what would be the general answer? I I believe, I think the answer would somehow revolve around money, right? And the many versions thereof, assets, land, houses, whatnot. And again, those things are important. Only a naive person would say they're not. Okay, they're important. I don't want to minimize them, but in verse 4, Solomon reminds us here once again that those things aren't the things that'll give your child life. It's not. Look at it. Verse 4, Solomon didn't say, keep my money and live. <laughs> did he? What did he say? Keep my commandments and live. In other words, if you if you pass down to your child and if they keep this inheritance of God's wisdom, of God's word that you give to them, they'll live. And, and, and live here doesn't just mean they'll breathe or have a heartbeat, you know, clinically live. It means that they will have life Abundant, life fully, life truly. Do you want that for yourself, for your child? And, and Solomon's talked about this idea of, of life abundant a few times already as we've gone through the book of Proverbs. And he's described it in many ways in different passages, okay? But let's stick to our specific passage today. And in our specific passage today, Solomon chooses to describe this idea of life abundant in terms of honor and exaltation. Okay, where do we see that? Verse 8 to 9. Take a look at verse 8 to 9. Solomon says, Prize wisdom highly, and she will exalt you. You see, she will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. So apparently, Solomon's saying here is that if your child holds fast to the wisdom of God's word that you pass down to them, they will be honored esteemed, exalted, respected by the people around him. Now, I get how this could sound a bit weird uh, to many of us, right? Because we're used to hearing that if we obey God's word, the world will, what, exalt us? No. If we obey God's word, the world will hate us, right? That's what we're used to hearing. If we obey God's commandments, the world will reject us, will disown us, and that's true, That's very true. Many many truths in the Bible is offensive to the world. And Jesus himself said that if you follow me, the world will hate you. But in this passage, we see another angle as well. That at times, especially perhaps within the community of believers, if you know God's word deeply, Solomon says, others may exalt you. Others may esteem you, respect you, be drawn to you. Now, that's not the goal, but that is the result. Okay, but why? Why might others esteem you if you know God's word? Because they'll see that you or your child can offer them something money can't buy, okay? And this is totally different, by the way, than the honor uh, that many people get for being wealthy. Completely different. See, if people honor you or your kid, because you're wealthy, because you have a lot of money. Those people aren't actually honoring you. They're being opportunistic towards you, okay? Um, And it may feel like honor to you, but it's not. They're they're gravitating towards you because you got the money and the resources that'll help them pay the expenses of life. But if people gravitate towards you because they see in you God's wisdom, Meaning, they see in you a sort of holistic understanding of life that comes from the author's explanation himself as he's written in his word. People will be drawn to you and honor you, not because you can help them pay the bills of life. They'll honor you because you can help them find the meaning of life. And that's the thing. That's the thing that money can't buy That's the thing that'll make people want to give you their ear. You can offer them the meaning for their life based on God's word. Okay, I know that's still vague because how does that work actually, right? Let's break this down some more. How does God's word help you and others find meaning in life? What's the connection? Well, God's word helps you and others find meaning in life through a story. Through story, what do I mean? Okay, stick with me, it'll it'll get back to the point, I promise. See, most of us, when we read the Bible, we view the Bible as a big rule book, right? It's a book full of laws and rules. Uh, Or maybe we view the Bible as some kind of life uh, help book, okay? Or maybe some of us view the Bible as some kind of theological document we're meant to study. And all of those things are true, it is. But first and foremost, you know what the Bible is? It's a story. It's a story from Genesis to Revelation that tells us the overarching meaning of life, that tells us who we are, why we're here, why you were created, where all this is heading. And see, this grand story that you find in God's word, this will help us find meaning in life because meaning always requires a story. Meaning always requires a story. What do I mean? Stick with me a bit longer, okay? I promise it'll, it'll connect. This may help explain the connection. Let's imagine a scenario, okay? You're walking in a mall alone and uh, there's a random person you've never ever met before. You've never met this person, okay? And they walk up to you while you're eating your lunch and they say this. They, they go to you and they say, the Latin word for book is codex, codex, codex and then they walk away. <laughs> and you go, what in the world just happened? Like how, how do I make sense of that event? You know how you make sense of it? You gotta somehow put it into a story. The only way. Maybe it's a sad story. Maybe this guy has special needs and he's wandered away from his family and it's your responsibility to help him. Maybe it's a funny story. Maybe you're currently in a TV prank show and there's a hidden camera somewhere just for gags and they're taping you to see how you'd react to this random encounter. Maybe it's an action story. Maybe, just maybe, he's a secret CIA agent and he actually misidentified you for the person that was supposed to receive that coded message. I don't know. Either way, in order for you to make sense of that one random event, you've got to attach it to a larger story. Or else there will be no meaning to it. Meaning requires story. Okay? So let's go back to that question we asked earlier. How can God's word help you and others make sense of life? How can it help your child make sense of life? By connecting it to what? To God's larger story. There's no meaning otherwise. And once you view your life, once you understand your life, once you can make sense of who you are, of what you're here for, of where you're going, based on God's grand story as he's explained in the Bible, you'll be wise you'll be wise and you may even find others gravitate toward you not because you can give them money but because you can help them find the meaning and purpose of life as well by helping them connect the dots of their life event to the grand story of God's word that was a lot so let me let me just summarize everything we've talked about okay this is what Solomon's telling us we must give to our children as an inheritance we must give to our children as an inheritance the ability to connect the dots, the ability to tether their life event with God's greater story as revealed in the Bible. If you do that, they will have life abundant. If you do that, they will have meaning and purpose. They'll understand why they're here, what all this is for. And, and they'll be able to do that for themselves, but they're able, hopefully, do that for other people as well. They'll connect other people's lives to that grand story. And if they can do this, others might appreciate them. Others may honor them even perhaps for helping them find life's true purpose and meaning. And if you've done that, Solomon says, you would have done your job as a parent. Have you done your job as a parent? Now, Let me just say this. Um, This all sounds well and good. But look, parents, if anything in life is out of our control, what is it? (sighs) It's our kids, right? Please say it (laughs) right. Misery loves company. (sighs) And look, the, the nature of the book of Proverbs, it just doesn't really mention the difficulties that one may encounter in the process, okay? Because the whole book of Proverbs is kind of written like a math equation almost, right? It's kind of like if you do this, you'll get that, you know? Uh, if you, if you uh, do that, you'll get this. If you listen to my instructions, you'll live a long life. You know, it's kind of this very simplistic but wise mathematical equation sort of, sort of thing, different than Ecclesiastes. That kind of talks about the nuances and the difficulties and all that, okay? So if you're reading, you know, these kind of like simple routes, you know, if you would, to wisdom, and you feel discouraged because you're like, well man, my life's not that simple. You know, my route's not that easy. My kid's rebellious. My kid's hard uh, to handle. They're never gonna want me to Torah them. (laughs) You know, don't be too discouraged. That's just the nature of the book of Proverbs and how it's written. Keep going. Keep trying. One step at a time, don't be discouraged. Your situation's not, not hopeless. My kids are out of control too sometimes. So let me just take this time uh, to read an excerpt for you, struggling parents, that encouraged me in my struggling journey, in my parenting journey. I just called parenting struggling, you see that? Before you didn't slip, okay. Uh, I heard a pastor say this in a sermon, it was really encouraging to me, he said this, a sweet and obedient child will enroll a father and a mother only in Parenting 101. If you're blessed with a child who tests your patience to the nth degree, you'll be enrolled in Parenting 505. <laughs> Rather than wonder what you might have done wrong in the pre mortal life to be so deserving, <laughs> you may consider the more challenging child a blessing, an opportunity to become more godlike yourself. With which child will your patience, long suffering, and other Christ-like virtues most likely be tested, developed, and refined? Could it be possible that you need this child as much as this child needs you? Keep going. Keep trying. Grow yourself in wisdom. Grow in your familiarity with God's word. And pass it down to them or to the next generation, whoever that may be for you. Now, some of us at this point may be saying, Tez, I would love to do that. You know, especially after hearing all this, I'm convinced I need to do that. But where do I start? Where do I point my child to first? I don't even know the Bible that well myself. Let's go to our third point. An inheritance of wisdom will crown your child with life and honor, but only if they love and cherish her okay verse seven, let's go there. It's a funny verse. look at it. It says, "The beginning of wisdom is this: get wisdom." <laughs> it's like that's the most unhelpful sentence ever. <laughs> right It's like what, is, what does that mean? Now, of course the beginning of wisdom is go get it. that's so weird, but it's also very profound. It's very profound. What Solomon's doing here is he's giving us a starting point. You don't know where to start? Here's where you start. If you wanna start this process of growth in wisdom, or if you wanna start this process of helping your child grow in wisdom, here's where you start. You start by wanting it. The beginning of wisdom is go get it. Go want it. Derek Kidner, Kidner, an Old Testament commentator that I use a lot, he said this uh, about verse seven. He said that verse seven tells us the beginning of wisdom doesn't start with brains or opportunity, but decision. Do you want it? Come and get it. That's what Solomon's saying here. You want it? Get it. That's a starting point. If you're confused about where to begin this process, start by wanting wisdom so much, by loving wisdom so much, you'd be willing to trade everything. Anything you have for it, that's not hyperbole, that's not poetic sentence, that's real. Everything you have, love wisdom more. That's what he says in verse 7. You got to love her, verse 6 says. You got to embrace her, verse 8 says. These are all romantic language, as if she's a bride worth paying everything for. Okay, but then how do we even get there? Right? That, that alone is, you know, how can I even get to where I love wisdom so much, you know, to where I'd give up everything for her. I don't know if I can love any concept that much. I don't know if I can love any idea or story that much. Well, see, that's the problem. If you just view God's wisdom as a concept or as an idea, you'll never love it that much. You know what you gotta do? You gotta come to realize that God's wisdom is not just an idea or a concept. God's wisdom is a person. Who? Let me read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. Paul says, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom of God. Who is the embodiment of God's wisdom here on earth? It's the person of Jesus. So connect the dots, right? Make sense of your life in light of Jesus' story. Make sense of your life in light of what he came to do. And if you do that, if you take a look at Jesus' story, God's wisdom embodied, who are you? Who are you? I'll tell you who you are. You're someone God died for. I'll tell you who you are. You're someone God climbed on a cross for. Jesus is God's wisdom who died so that you may have life abundant. Jesus is God's wisdom who took on a crown of thorns so that he may place a graceful garland upon your head. Jesus is God's wisdom who died shamefully on earth so that you may be honored by the Father in heaven. God's wisdom isn't only heavenly words of instruction. God's wisdom isn't just a grand story. God's wisdom is a person who gave up his life for you. Friends, this Jesus, this story of the cross, this grand narrative of God's redemption is the inheritance God is calling us here to pass down to our kids. Because unless they see Jesus, they will never love God's wisdom and cherish it more than life itself. They will, I guarantee you, love their money more. Protect your child from that vice. Show them Jesus. Where do you start? By teaching them the mercy and the grace that Christ showed them on the cross. That's where you start with them. And listen, that's where you start with you. That's where we start with you. See, some of us here feel hesitant to take on the role of teaching about Christ to our kids because we don't feel worthy of such a task, right? We don't feel good enough. We feel like a hypocrite, you know? My life is so messed up, don't you see? All the struggles, all the sins, all the... Lack of integrity, I do in all areas of my life. I don't, I can't do this. Let the Sunday school teachers do it. See, friends, the best teachers of the gospel are those who realize they need it most. You're pointing your kid to Jesus. What does your worthiness have anything to do with it? You're pointing your kid to his worthiness, you're pointing your kid to his righteousness, not yours. Go, Torah your child, Torah the next generation, whoever that may be for you. Because if you don't, if you don't help them make sense of their life in light of Jesus' story, someone else is gonna help them make sense of their life through an alternate story. And they will not be wise, but fools. Teach them, Jesus, they're worth it. But more than that, Jesus is worth it. Begin an echo that will pass down throughout the generations and continue on to eternity. An echo of God's redemption story. An echo of God's wisdom who was crucified for fools like you and me. And give your child, the next generation, whoever that may be, something money can't buy. Give them the wisdom of God. Let's pray. Father, we are helpless children. I can't help but think again. We all here may feel a little bit, whether parent or not, a little bit of what Solomon probably meant in our call to worship earlier. That we've been given a responsibility, not only in the next generation of this church, not only the people in our Bible studies and community groups that we're called to pass on wisdom down to but also for those of us here who have kids, our children. What a big responsibility. We don't know how to go in and go out. We don't know what's right or wrong. We're a room of fools who you've had mercy upon. Give us, Father, wisdom. Give us wisdom more than you give us money. And make me the kind of person who actually believes in what I just said because sometimes I don't want to. Help your wayward church. Be thou our vision and nothing else. Let the cross cause all things on earth to grow strangely dim. In Jesus' name and in his name alone we pray. Amen.